standard issue for all women. Hello, Hannah here and welcome to this week's Sunday Chops. I hope you're having a nice Sunday. If it's anything like it is now, weather-wise, it will be so sunny you can't look out of the window, but simultaneously freezing cold. So remember to dress appropriately. I say that as someone who didn't yesterday and is still recovering. Getting away from tips for life and onto this week's chops. In this episode, I am talking to Kate Reed, writer of a play that is about to open on the 12th of January at the Park Theatre in Finsbury Park. It's called The Fourth Country. Rachel Rooney, one of its stars, was also on the call. We had a brilliant chat about why Northern Ireland remains pretty neglected within the UK when it comes to politics and when it comes to the media, how this may or may not be improving. A good couple of years for Northern Ireland and a lot more besides. I'd just like to say we did this interview on the 21st of December when nobody had any idea what on earth was going to happen, if this play was going to open, if we were going to get a Christmas. And I absolutely commend Rachel and Kate for sounding so positive in this chat when, in truth, the three of us were really quite confused about what on earth was going on and what the future held. Anyway, I hope the future holds the rest of a nice Sunday for you. Until next time. Hi, Hannah here. I am joined by Kate Reed. Hello, Kate. Hiya. And Rachel Rooney. Hello, Rachel. Hiya. Who are the writer and one of the stars, respectively, of The Fourth Country. I'm going to start with you, Kate. Thanks both very much for joining us. The Fourth Country, those words refer to Northern Ireland. Mm -hmm. And I think both Scotland and Wales could put up a quite spirited defence that they are a neglected part of the United Kingdom and I would support those claims but if fourth country is being ranked in in, in status in the <laughs> yeah. UK of how much we talk about it and how much politicians talk about it I think you are absolutely spot on that that's where Northern Ireland falls so could yeah. you tell me a little bit more about that title and where, where it came from? Yeah, definitely. So I started writing bits and pieces that would eventually become the fourth country sort of in 2018, 2019. And that was an absolutely huge year for Northern Ireland. Like so much happened socially, so much happened politically. And I was just really shocked at how little coverage that was getting in mainstream English press. And obviously, you know, I've got family here, like, so I was talking about it a lot, but I couldn't really find anyone else to talk to about it. And of course, there are a lot of conversations about Scotland and independence. And I think there's an argument to say there's a conversation happening around Wales as well at the minute. And I just kind of felt that Northern Ireland was sort of getting quite neglected in a time when actually there was a huge amount going on there. No one really seemed to know much about it. So, yeah, in terms of the pecking order of attention that it gets from politicians and from the press, it very much felt like the fourth country. I have to say, though, that like in the time that we've been waiting out COVID to try and get this play put on. I think the conversation around Northern Ireland's actually developed like a lot because I think the aftermath of Brexit, people have become more aware of issues like, you know, the border and stuff. Mm. So I I think there has actually been a bit of a change in terms of the conversation around it and people are talking about it a bit more, but certainly still not enough for our liking. The other day I watched Patrick Kilty's documentary he made for the BBC 
mm. it's the second one he made. The first one he made a couple of years ago, I felt the tone of it was really positive. This one, I thought the tone of it was, I would say, uncertain, mm. going towards negative. Rachel, <laughs> you, you, you are yourself from Northern Ireland. How do you think the mood has changed there in the last couple of years? Because I'm living at the moment so much in London, that's quite difficult to answer. <laughs> I'd say, funny enough, you know, you were saying about the documentary, all I've noticed is that in the past few years, a conversation is starting. And for me, there's a slight bit more hope, even just with, you know, I live in London. Most of my friends are English. And when I first moved over at 18, I was shocked, like really shocked at how little anyone knew of anything to do mm. with Irish history. In fact, on one of my first days, a lovely girl came over and asked me if I was speaking a different language. I was like, <laughs> No, just a very... Oh, oh God. <laughs> um, but, you know, like Kate was saying, sort of this year after COVID and everything, my flatmates, um, a lot of my other English friends that I don't live with are starting to, like, be able to have a conversation with me about Irish history for the first time. Like, their knowledge has increased, and I, I, I would say it's probably not from me living with them. It's starting, you know, starting to be in the news and when some politicians with um, shaggy blonde hair sort of dismissing borders in Ireland and sort of really brushing aside our history, it's met with a lot of anger now from uh, well, the people around me. And they can't believe how ignorant a lot of English people are to history, to the Irish history. So I would say there's a lot more hope for me anyway. There's a lot more I can actually have conversations with people now. And they can hold a conversation with me about it, which is quite exciting. Mm -hmm. um, That's really good. I think part of the problem, and I say this as someone who has historically has Irish family, not Northern Ireland, right enough, but Ireland, but obviously grew up in England and is very much English, is it's, it's the kind of the catch-22 situation of the troubles in mm -hmm. You don't want to talk immediately about the troubles when you talk about Northern Ireland because you don't want to reduce a place to one thing. But nonetheless, unless you talk about the troubles, you're taking away a thing that has permeated every single part of Northern Irish society or did for for 30 odd years. You don't want to be like, oh, I'm banging on. I'm asking about the troubles again. I'm banging on about the troubles again. But if you don't take the troubles into account, then you're not really taking a serious look at what a massive achievement it was to overcome that and then go on with the rest of your lives. Yeah, and that's actually, it's interesting you say that because that's one of the, the themes we sort of go into in the play is how to do justice to the wealth of experience that there is in Northern Ireland. Like, how do we acknowledge the pain of the past without dwelling on it in a way that ignores everything that's happening now or like undermines the progress that's been made. And, you know, the characters in our play disagree over how to, how to do that, how to address Northern Ireland's very complicated, complex history. And we're not necessarily trying to go out there and put a bunch of answers on stage because it is too complicated for one simple answer but we're trying to basically show all the different opinions and different ways we can talk about Northern Irish history and then hopefully let the audience leave the theatre and continue that 
conversation. I saw something that actually Jamie Dornan had said in an interview recently about Belfast, Kenneth Branagh's. Um, yes. Yeah. And the I think it was like the title of the article or something with a quote from him being like, people think that like Belfast is like the Gaza Strip. And he went on to talk about how like everyone thinks it's sort of like a war zone and how actually there's like a huge wealth of funny, brilliant, resilient, amazing people and stories there, like mm. hopeful stories as well, funny stories and and how a lot of the time that can get so overshadowed by the trauma of the troubles and how now there kind of seems to be a bit of a rebalancing of trying to be like, okay, yes, we accept that traumatic past, but there's also this other wealth of amazing people and narratives and stories that aren't getting talked about as much. So I guess it's kind of trying to do justice to history whilst also appreciating the position we're in now. And that's yeah. one of the things we look at in the play. Because there was the hundred years, a sort of anniversary of of, mm-hmm. of the division of Ireland. Uh, so you would say the establishment of both the Irish Free State and the Northern Ireland as it sort of with the boundaries it has now. And all year I've been saying, I don't know what we should do about it. <laughs> we should do something about it. Interview someone, do something. But I couldn't couldn't really put my finger on what that thing was i'm going to ask you rachel is that a thing to celebrate and if it is a thing to celebrate how how do you think people should be doing it it's a really interesting question and i don't think there's a solid answer honestly and i think it's so layered and complex and it's sort of off what both of you were saying and we discussed this in rehearsals as well um because i find it very interesting where our Irish pride lies depending on mm. your history with Ireland as a human so I would say you know I'm I was born and raised here while Kate is second generation Irish parents Kate, we have a few um second generation actors in the show and I find it so interesting that a lot of the time people who are Irish but weren't necessarily born and raised in Ireland have a lot of pride in what we survived Mm. While I would say those who were, you know, born here, grew up here, went to school, had their social life, went on their first like underage disco, it's Irish being Irish and, and what we want to celebrate within that whole idea is much more about what our everyday life is, less about how deep our history goes or what we survived. It's about what it is to live here. And I would say we're lucky. We're incredibly lucky. My generation is blessed that we get to say that being Irish is is about what it's like to wake up in the morning and hear a cow in your field or, <laughs> you know, to walk, have a walk through the Mourne Mountains and see that. It's, you know, beautiful. While I'd say my parents' generation, being Irish, they grew up where, you know, they're on their... their prom whatever you want to call it they had to evacuate it because there was a bomb scare you know things like that yeah so I don't actually have an answer and I don't know if it's my place to answer that because so much of my history is not that and so much of what my reality of what Ireland is isn't that and I think that's what Kate does really well with this play she sort of says there's no answers and it's so varied from person to person Okay, let's talk about the play. Kate, can you give us a little pricey of what the fourth country is? Yeah, of course. So it's a look at Northern Ireland in 2019. 
and the various political and social upheavals that happened in that year between Storming being shut down, there was a spike in paramilitary attacks, abortion was finally decriminalised. Way! Yeah, it was It was a big year. Um, and it sort of takes those big questions and big themes and looks at it through the lives of ordinary people, and in particular this this one family, and asks those questions that we were sort of just discussing about how do you honour your past without letting your present and your future become hostage to it and at the same time we ask those questions of you know whose right is it to tell these stories from Northern Ireland and a lot of the time there's a sort of English spin put on them in the English press or for English audiences which is who we're performing for and you know as you can tell by my accent I'm born and raised in England and so it's been amazing to have the variety of voices that Rachel was talking about in the rehearsal room of, you know, second generation, first generation uh, performers from the South, performers from the North, and have us all kind of collaborate on this piece and have those conversations about, like, who really should be in charge of, of putting these stories on stage and putting these stories in front of an audience. And I'm trying not to spoil anything else to say that, <laughs> but that's also a very big theme in the play. Well, actually, I was thinking about the last time that I saw a play that was set in Northern Ireland, and that would have been The Ferryman. Yes, Jez Butterworth. Again, written by an Englishman, not written by... Um, I mean, really good play. Yeah. Really enjoyed it, but... Yeah, it's an interesting one. I think we've, we've actually talked a lot about The Ferryman because... Oh, really? Yeah, be, because there are so, so few reference points for Northern Irish theatre, like plays set in Northern Ireland. There aren't recently that many things we can draw on as reference points for the work that we're making and so obviously you know the ferryman is probably the most famous place in northern ireland ever so it does come up a lot in rehearsal and it's an interesting one because it's it's quite divisive actually rach i know was a huge fan you really loved it and i know that there are other people in the cast and crew that didn't like the fact that there was you know basically a Kaylee halfway through and like my mum had an issue with the fact that they were up till like 4am the night before a harvest she was like you just never do that like you're all in bed it's so inaccurate a friend of mine had a real problem with what whiskey they were drinking in it yeah exactly yeah <laughs> exactly stuff like that it's like those those details that I think you know some people can feel that it's a bit of a, a generalization of how an English person might see Northern Ireland and I've obviously been very, I've had my mum's voice in my head whilst I'm writing the fourth country, trying to avoid being too general or trying to give any any easy answers. But yeah, that's definitely been, it's been a big reference point for the rehearsal room. Experiment. Now, you did this originally at the Vault Festival in 2020, and I know the Vault Festival was sort of straddled that period of time in which yeah. everything got <laughs> shut down. Yeah. So, so did you get a full way through a run with this? I'm going to go to you, Rachel. We actually did. We were very... Hooray! <laughs> it was literally, I think it was right on the cusp of it, but we really did just get that in and then everything shut down. And interestingly enough, so much has changed from the time of the vaults to now. I mean, yeah, what's happened in Ireland um, has really changed. And I'll let Kate speak about it, but how she's working with that is fascinating and you know it makes it so much without spoiling anything um (laughs) it can make your gut drop (laughs) and Mm. so so many parts where we're discussing elements of it and 
lot of the time you already know the answer, which is heartbreaking. Well, sometimes it's not the answer you wished was true, but uh, I'll let it sort of speak about the difference. Yeah, like Rach says, we we had to sort of make a decision when we realised that we weren't going to be able to be putting this transfer on, which was the original plan we were meant to be on in August. So straight, straight off the back of the vault run, really. And I had a lot of discussions with, you know, our production company and Park Theatre, who've been wonderful, about what to do with the time frame of the play. Because when we were doing vaults, I was writing as the new stories were happening. Like I was changing the script dependent on like what a headline was that day, which my cast mm. were very malleable and wonderful about. Um <laughs> But it was like very, very current and very up to date. And of course, with COVID, we had absolutely no idea when we were going to go on stage. Like it could have been, I mean, we were hopeful it was going to be soon. We were wrong, sadly. But we had to make a call to sort of freeze the play in 2019 rather than constantly updating and rewriting and rewriting on the off chance that we were going to go on in 2020 or 2021 and now 2022. And that meant that, as Rach says, if you're aware of what's going on in Northern Ireland and what's happened in the last couple of years over there, there are some really poignant moments in the play where characters in 2019 might have hope for something that we now know did not come to pass. Mm. And that's been a really interesting and moving change to the script that I've written is that at the time I was writing it, there was genuinely cause to be hopeful. And now some of those hopeful moments have become become really heartbreaking because we know it didn't actually turn out like that yeah um so that's brought an, a whole nother element and shade to the play that we didn't have before in 2019 yeah that's really interesting because I've watched stuff you know over this whole period where films where people like and then they all lived happily ever after I'm mm-hmm. like nah mate <laughs> you have no idea what's coming around the yep. what's coming around the corner in, in 18 months or whatever exactly you have yeah. no idea how bad it's gonna get guys <laughs> So we're talking about this on the 21st of December. Mm. We don't know. Nobody knows where we're going to be when you open on the 12th of January. Mm. Trying to put a positive spin on this. Rachel, is there something you can do with that nervous energy (laughs) in rehearsals? Does it in a way help? Um, I guess it keeps you on your toes. It definitely keeps you on your toes. (laughs) Um, and it keeps it very alive and a lot of the time when you're in rehearsals and you're doing a scene I will say it it, it stops you from ever taking anything from, for granted mm-hmm. um, and when you are you know day five into rehearsals and you are tired and you're getting frustrated at a scene knowing that quite possibly this could be the last rehearsal day you have for <laughs> two years which was our last experience um really it, it keeps you going and it make, it sort of reminds you to I guess it puts a firework up your arse sorry for the term but um it does and it doesn't it, it doesn't let you rest it also means when you're sitting in a rehearsal process with an incredible cast like we have who we're all genuinely very close and very good friends you just soak up every moment. It also meant that we have had time to really get to know each other. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. To put a positive spin on um, the two-year wait, um, <laughs> it, it has meant that we have really bonded. And when we're on that stage, we trust each other completely. And there's an element of no matter what happens when we're up there, we have each other's back. 
which yeah. is a lovely feeling. We really are very lucky. And to this day, even, you know, looking at the abortion laws that are discussed within the play, and the sort of question we were talking about earlier of, you know, some things didn't turn out well, you could argue that the abortion laws did, you know, go our way. But when I was doing research, they really hide some critical parts of it that you you don't realize. I mean, there's not enough facilities in Northern Ireland at the minute to accommodate the women that need abortions. And there's been so much back and forth trying to make those happen. And it's still to this day, we are not doing enough. So it's been really interesting having two years worth of watching what's happened and using that then when we're on the stage all together. And, you know, a lot of the time the anger that we feel or the frustration and Kate's given us this script that we can put all of those emotions through that we've been building up for two years watching everything happen. Mm -hmm. So 12th of January at the Park Theatre in Finsbury Park Mm -hmm. until the 5th of February... I mean, this is a crazy question. Do you think you might actually be able to get it over to Northern Ireland at some point for people to watch there? Oh, I mean, that would be, yeah, that would be a dream. That would be amazing. There have been discussions, obviously, amongst company about how that would be an incredible thing to be able to do. But of course, between COVID and the way that that affects finances and everything, we'll we'll have to see. There's a, there's a pin in that for now, but that would be that would be phenomenal. We'd love that. Terrific. So do you have any other things that you're writing, Kate? Are you are you able to use this time creatively like that? Yeah, I, I mean, that's, you know, as as Rach says, that two year wait is bittersweet in a number of ways. Um, something that I have done actually is work a huge amount on the fourth country in that time, because we went from a sort of 55 minute fringe version for Vault um, to a now 80 minute version for Park. So there was a lot a lot more material had to be put So I've been working on that. And also I have a sitcom pilot coming out at the end of February, which is very different in tone. I've been, I've been doing some TV work over lockdown as well. Oh, excellent. One of the nice positives to come out. Yeah. Yeah. I look forward to saying this enormously. And I really hope that that is on the 12th of oh. January. Thank you so much for your time. You are both involved in Plain Heroines. Where can people find out more about that? Plain Heroines is our theatre production company that we have with a group of wonderful women. Um, You can go to www.plainheroines.com for any more information about us. There's also a nifty little uh, donation link for the fourth country on the fourth country page if anyone's feeling in the Christmas giving spirit. But yeah, if you want any more information about that, that's our website and that links to all of our socials, to our Twitter, to our Instagram, the works. Fantastic. Thank you both so much for your time. This has been really interesting. Thank, Thank you, you very much. much. It's been Thank lovely. You. Standard issue for all women.